Welcome everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is the Bread of Life. I'm the director of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism. We're blessed that God has allowed us to be a part of reaching lost people and planting churches throughout the world through the years, and even in these challenging times, He's still using us for this purpose. To learn more, go to traincpe.org. I'm also the Bible teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our fellowship, go to breadoflifeboise.org. And now, to God's Word. We're in Luke chapter 23, and we're considering the words of Christ spoken from the cross. The first statement he makes, we note, was a prayer. A prayer for forgiveness. A demonstration of how Christ prayed for you and I, and how he prays for sinners still. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. And then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green... What will happen when it is dry? If they do these things when judgment is not full, when the tree is not completely dead, what will happen when it is? Two others were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. The criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus has risen from the dead. He died never to die again, and he rose to live forever, and he lives forever as our intercessor. In Romans chapter 8, verse 34, this is what Paul says of Christ. It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercessions for us. If you want to understand how the Lord Jesus is interceding for you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, how he's praying for you, you can go to John chapter 17, and there you have what is called the Lord Jesus high priestly prayer, and you have this image or this portrait or expression in the last week of Christ's earthly life before he went to the cross of how he was praying for his disciples and his followers and how he was praying for us. And in it also, there's an example of how following him, you might learn to pray for one another. If you want to understand how the Lord Jesus prayed for the lost, how the Lord Jesus interceded for you before the day in which you came to discover him and know him and repent and believe upon him, you can study this passage. If you want to know how the Lord Jesus now is interceding for those you love and you care for who are outside of faith in Jesus Christ, you can look at this passage and understand it. If we want to begin to understand how we follow him and follow his example, interceding for the lost as well, We look at this passage. When we understand the Lord Jesus' ministry as an intercessor, we refer to his office as our priest. And we also remember that the Bible says of the believer and his followers that we are a kingdom of priests, which basically means that we are to follow his example. He's leading the way, and we are with him to intercede in the world in which we live. In this passage, we see that for unsaved persons... The Lord Jesus prays that they may come to realize the forgiveness of God. 
There are occasions in the gospel accounts in which various individuals came to the Lord Jesus seeking healing or looking to him in faith. And on those occasions, the Lord Jesus responded to them by saying, your sins are forgiven you. And you'll remember that whenever he did that, those who were listening on were scandalized by the statement because they understood that only God could forgive sins. But there was the phrase, there was the term, the Lord Jesus declared their forgiveness. In other words, the Lord Jesus, as God himself, absolved them of their guilt. The Lord Jesus, in that declaration, released them from their debt. And yet, in this occasion... As the Lord Jesus is praying, he does not bring a word of absolution. He doesn't bring a word of forgiveness. He doesn't say in this moment, as his hands are being nailed to the cross, your sins are forgiven you. You've been released of your debt. Instead, alongside of the sinful activity that's taking place, the Lord Jesus simply prays and intercedes, Father, forgive them. Release them of their sins. And his prayer is not an absolution. They're still in their sins. It's weighing against them. They still bear the guilt of their actions. The Lord Jesus is praying that forgiveness from the Father will someday be realized and come to them. That's what he's praying. He's praying the hour and the moment will come when they will know his forgiveness. And so what I want to do this morning is I want you to understand particularly what is behind or what it is that the Lord Jesus is seeking from the Father for that to take place. But before we do that, I want you also to see that in Christ's intercession, seeking for the forgiveness of these sinners, his prayers rise out of a place of power and pity, and they rise out of his pain. And so let's look at those first. His intercession rises out of a point and place of his power. When we intercede and we pray for others, we're praying that God would work on the behalf of others to answer their needs. And we go to God believing that God is the one who is the answer for the needs of people. When you pray for your children, it doesn't matter what it is or what the issue is you're praying for. When you pray for a neighbor, when you pray for your spouse, when you pray for your friends, you're going to God because you know God is great and God is powerful and God is the one who can release the answer upon them. And so you're praying And you're positioning your prayer before power, the power of God. As Jesus is going to this place of crucifixion, he's bearing his cross. It begins to overwhelm him to such extent that he cannot carry it further. And so the cross is lifted from him and it's laid upon another individual who's conscripted by the Roman soldier, Simon of Cyrene, to carry the cross behind him as the Lord Jesus makes his way, having been battered and beaten. And as we see all this, we could... Think of him as an accidental figure of the world's cruelty. But he's carrying this cross to the place of the skull to die, and he's going to this place of his own determined will and his own choosing. He's God, and he is in this moment providing the answer to the prayers for our greatest need. He is making his way to the place where he will make the final and ultimate payment for our sins. The prophet Isaiah speaks of this moment in time that the Lord Jesus is going through as he's making his way to the cross. In Isaiah 53, verse 11, the prophet says this, By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. And what you can understand from this passage is that the Lord Jesus knew everything that was before him. I don't know if you've ever engaged in some kind of job or some type of activity and then you thought as you were into it that activity that you thought would take you 
half a day, three days into the project, four days into the project, with the project still looming over your head, you think, if I'd only known, if I'd only known what this would require of me and what this would have cost me, I would have never partaken or taken up this, this task. Listen, the Lord Jesus knew the weight that he was lifting. He knew what he was entering into completely and fully when he went to the cross for you. He knew all of the physical agony of the cross. He knew the great spiritual agony of bearing the punishment of your sins and mine. And yet he went with determination to the cross. And he went there not as a victim. He gave himself up as an offering. And his cross, from his standpoint, was not an accident. It was an accomplishment. He was accomplishing by the power of God our salvation in that place. It was a point of power. Actually, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 23 and 24, Paul writes of the cross of Jesus Christ. And let me read you these words. 1 Corinthians 1, 23 through 24. This is what Paul says. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. If you were for a moment, and this happens to us periodically, to envision all of the scenes of everything that Christ endured, if we were put into our minds the frailty of that human body and the vulnerability of that human life, and the madness of human destruction that was being poured out upon him, innocent and righteous as he was. You see the overwhelming power of death. You see the overwhelming power of destructive forces that are being poured out upon his torn and battered body. It's a pathetic scene. It's a, almost a foolish and ridiculous scene of folly and weakness. But I'd have you look through it for a moment. I'd have you look a little closer. And what you see as Christ labors to carry the cross of the Golgotha, what you should understand that you're seeing is not the folly of some seeming weakness. That would be a deceiving note to take with yourself. Instead, what you're seeing, Paul says, is the wisdom of God at play here. You're seeing the power of God being unfolded here. The wisdom and power of God is making the way for our salvation as Jesus carries our sins and bears the cruelty of sin that is laid upon us and laid upon his creation. And it's for this salvation the realization of this salvation that is being accomplished in this very purposeful act, in this accomplishment of the cross, that Jesus intercedes for those ones who right now are participating in crucifying him. In this moment of torment, Jesus is praying from a position of power. He knows that this work will release the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes on him. Now, when you pray for others, when you pray for the salvation of your loved ones and those you care for, you're not engaged in a desperate act. You're not searching for some solution, wondering what might be the answer for their deep need and the trauma or the difficulties or the challenges you can't overcome in their life to communicate truth to them or bring joy to them or peace to them or happiness to them. You're praying from the point of a salvation that has been accomplished in the power of the cross. Always remember... That when we go before God, we go before a God who is sovereign and a God who is in control and a God who has accomplished salvation on behalf of those who have no power to save themselves. You're praying from a point of power. Receive that. Embrace it. Lay hold of that in your prayers. Here's another thing that we see here. His intercession rises out of his pity. There are probably few sites that are more pitiable 
than that of a condemned man carrying a Roman cross to the point of his and place of his execution. The Lord has been scourged. His body and his face have been battered beyond recognition. He's a pathetic sight. There are the women of Jerusalem that are following after them. We realize just prior to this, it says a great multitude cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And now the multitude is going to the place of crucifixion. And we shouldn't read that these women are believers, that they're the ones who believe and follow the Lord Jesus. Jesus was telling himself, these are the women of Jerusalem. They're not the Galilean women that went and attended to the Lord Jesus' needs throughout his earthly ministry. These are likely the same ones that have been in the midst of the crowd crying out. But as they're going their way and seeing the pathetic case of this condemned criminal, as they consider the miseries that he's undergone, and that he's past the point of relief, and that no matter how much he is excruciatingly experienced up to that point in time, there is more misery coming, and there is after that the inescapable grave. These women, their humanity is touched. They're provoked by seeing all these things, and they give up a death wail. As we'll learn in our next broadcast, our Lord called upon those wailing to him not to pity him, but to wail and pity themselves. When Jesus went to the cross, he went there full of pity, not for himself, but for us. Before we sign off for this broadcast, I want to remind you of a ministry website that we've developed. It is testyourtestimony.com. Our concern is that there are many in our churches who do not have a true born-again relationship with Jesus Christ and so face the prospect of his rejection at the judgment seat in the last day. Our pity for these has made us develop the site testyourtestimony.com in order to apply the command of 2 Corinthians 13.5 to test ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. For now, I look forward to our next time partaking together of the bread of life. Till then, may God bless you.